Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. If you're listening to this, this episode is also a video episode on YouTube on the Mark's Daily Apple channel. Today we have a repeat offender and one of my favorite people, hands down, in the paleo world, probably the, gosh, I'd say like kind of one of the world's experts in ancestral uh, health, hunter-gatherer experience. Um, CJ Hunt is the director and writer of my favorite documentary called The Perfect Human Diet. If you haven't seen it, uh, you need to. It is really just explains paleoprimal health in a way that sometimes you just can't get from a book or it may not resonate as well. It's been out for many years. He's working on a sequel. Uh, welcome back, CJ. Hey, Al. Good to see you again. So good to see you. For those uh, wondering, we are actually going to talk about thyroid too. CJ had a thyroid experience and a thyroid journey and ended up on the last resort choice of thyroid hormone T3 like myself. So we were going to, we will venture into a thyroid discussion later. And so definitely stick around for that if that's interesting to you. In the meantime, we are going to just get into some, and have lots of questions. I'm sure everyone else does, and we all need clarification. And CJ is the one that I call if I see an article or I have a question about hunter-gatherer life or existence or this kind of thing, I will call CJ. So for those that don't know you, give us a quick synopsis, because at the beginning of your documentary, we find out that you basically dropped dead at the age of you know, in your teenage years, like 18 years old, on a running track. And that set you off on, oh, my God, how am I supposed to eat and live now? <laughs> well, yeah, basically, that's it. I mean, I was 24. And oh. I, that's, that's OK. I don't. If I could be 18 again, I would take in the heartbeat so, and know what I know now. So anyway, uh, it started for me when I went out jogging, Memorial Day 1978. I went a lap and a half, dropped dead. You know, luckily an anesthesiologist showed up to go jogging and found me, started working on me. Paramedics came for a while later. They jump-started me, took me to UCLA Medical Center, fourth floor ICU, which is the cardio care unit. And long story short, I was there for 10 days and they figured out that I had heart birth defect that they couldn't do anything about except to put me on beta blocker drugs, put me on drugs to try to control it because they really didn't know much about it. And, you know, my odds of survival in those days, based on what they knew, was, you know, over 50% of people died within the next two years that had this. Yeah, I know. I know. And you're still around. (laughs) And I'm still around. Shocking, but true. Much to the chagrin of those particular. By the way, do you mind sharing your age? I'm 67. All right, so so CJ is Mark Sisson's age. Yeah, that's right. CJ and Mark Sisson are the same age, and they both are exemplarily like ancestral health models for sure. Um, okay, so now you're there. And by the way, for you know, for those that don't know, you were an investigative journalist for many years, and so I'm not surprised that your mind led you to go. Let me see what the right thing is for me. And, from what I recall, you went through, let me try vegan, let me try this. And you really, you were doing, you were doing N equals one before people were even doing it. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, tell us really what hear. brought you to paleo primal ancestral in this way. What, what well, led you there? Well, you're right. I mean, when I did first start, um, you know, I, the Western medicine couldn't tell me anything with, that I could do to make myself better. All they had were drugs as an option, and I felt terrible, made me sad and depressed, changed my skin and my hair and all that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I couldn't get off the couch. So I went down to a place in L.A. called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore, which is, 
you know, metaphysical bookstore. And in those days, if you wanted alternative information, you had to go to someplace like that because it wasn't in the regular, you know, library. You know, there was no internet, you know, for us. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was no internet. And, um, you know, and I read all the different books and, uh, you know, they were about fasting and vegetarianism and veganism and fruitarianism and all of those things. So that's what I did. I figured that I needed to go out and try these things myself to see how I would feel. And, you know, over the course of a number of years, I, I was a raw food vegan for five years, eating nothing but fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and sprouts. Uh, nothing cooked. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm shaking my head here for those that can't see this because, uh, I, I mean, when you look back on that, like, aren't you, I'm like sad for you. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it was interesting. I mean, at the time, I really did feel like an odd man out. But, you know, sometimes if you if you feel it's as much of a spiritual quest as it is a physical quest sure. that, you know, maybe it's OK that you don't fit in with everybody else while you're trying to, you know, sort this stuff out for yourself. You know, um, but what happened is over the course of the same years is I changed professions. I had been doing voiceover and, you know, on camera commercials and things like that after motocross. And then I went into the news. And while I was in the news, of course, we're getting the same kind of health reports that we're still getting today about, you know, obesity, overweight, diet-related um, disease is exploding as it was 50 years ago. And, um, and all they had were the same answers to try to create a solution. You know, that, that, that whole definition of insanity, I'm sure you've said over and over again, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So the, the thing is, is I thought, well, wait a second. Um, ultimately, I said, well, why don't we go back to the beginning? If these things, you know, vegetarianism and veganism worked okay for me. Mom got killed by a drunk driver. I was under a lot of emotional stress and it didn't, didn't work anymore. You know, my body could not, as well-intentioned as that way of eating was, uh, I didn't have enough resilience and I couldn't bounce back. You know, so and my little voice inside, for those of you that believe in those things, said, eat meat, eat fish, you know, it started there. And um, as soon as this I was, did, this was the gateway animal flesh that. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else was pretty much the same. I still ate lots of rough fruits and vegetables and things like that at the time, but fish, but I tell you in less than two months, I gained eight pounds of muscle without even thinking twice, without trying, you know, not, that wasn't my goal. And I felt much, much better. It was a really a tremendous improvement. So you know, when I was watching the horizon of news stories and nothing was getting any better, no one's coming out with anything new, I thought, well, wait a second, maybe we ought to go to other people besides the registered dietitians, you know, that are the, the normal fare to answer these kinds of questions and see where it could lead us. I mean, what is the ideal human diet? What is the perfect human diet? How should we be eating really um, in order to maximize our health and our well-being? Um, you know, for the, all of our lives and all of the things that we want to do. So ultimately, as you said, this led into getting interested. I wrote a book called Diet Evolution when I first started uh, uh, getting into this. And uh, in fact, the, if, you, if you want, we can come back to it. But it's the 20th anniversary of that book. And I recreated it on Kindle. It's called Charles Hunt's oh, I love it. Diet Evolution. And if nothing else, I'm naked on the cover. And because you know, <laughs> I was trying to be clever at the time and try to get a little attention. Right. So I did the whole line of evolution from the little monkey up to the caveman. And then I was the last guy. Love so, it. 
And of course, I was in good enough shape then that I didn't mind so much. But <laughs> that was that, hey, that was also really ahead of the time because now there's t-shirts where they do the whole thing and then the, the end is the golfer or the like you were way ahead of that meme. <laughs> well, well, that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but come back, but I can share some things with you sure. from the book, the book that everyone thought was new when Paleo came out, and they had actually 10 years before Rob Wolf's book came out, they were all in diet evolution. And it's not to um, take away from anybody's achievements or anything like that. But, you know, it it speaks to what the world is ready to hear. There you go. You know, when you put it out and, you know, I, I couldn't get arrested with that book. And and the one, and the one time that I was, I was actually booked on the view. They had a heavy set woman who was a host. um, I'm bonking on her name at the moment. But the, the View is the morning television talk show. It was Barbara Walters and four women having a little gab fest about the things of the day. She wanted to lose weight. She liked bacon. I said in the book, you could eat bacon. So there you go. Kind, kind of kind of went to it. And I was invited on. And then they hit number one and decided they wanted celebrities instead. So that was my one big shot. But anyway. I love it. I bet she was disappointed when you were like, hey, you can eat bacon. But you can't eat all this other bullshit. <laughs> right, like, right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that and, you know, their their needs and their the things that they needed for their show change. Of course. So, you know, and, and you know what it's like in show biz. So, so, when, um, so, so diet evolution was your pretty much N equals one experience with kind of following an ancestral model before everyone knew what that even meant. Well, yeah, it's, it, it is because, you know, I interviewed Dr. Eads. I talked to Lauren Cordain back then uh, for the book. And uh, it was when and nobody, nobody had published. Nobody had really said anything out there in the world about this. In fact, in Dr. Eats Protein Power, he had to do just a little teeny sentence somewhere saying that, well, this is based on evolutionary principles. This is, you know, evolutionary nutrition. And his publishers, can't remember who they are right now, said, Mm-mm, you know, you don't go that way. And in fact, on the second publication, it's like recipes first, science later. But uh, yeah, the, the world wasn't ready for that kind of thing at the time. So when I got into news and I was pursuing this and I went through that personal change, I thought, well, no one's ever told this story or tried to research this story uh, on film. Because at the time, Peter Jennings, who was an ABC news anchor who's passed away now for your folks that don't know that, was a great guy. And he started a show, which was very unique at the time, called In Search Of. And he went in search of Jesus, for example. And then, and he would go on location, which is common now, but back then you didn't do that. You stayed in the studio. He went to location, he went to Jerusalem, he went to the site of Herod's castle and all those kinds of things and explored what the world was like then in those places in order to help bring more understanding to, in that case, the Jesus story and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, what if we go in search of the perfect human diet? You know, where would we start? If we went back to the beginning, you know, who would that be? Who would we talk to? So first, the only person I knew at the time that had had stories written about them was Lauren Cordain. So I went and I talked to him. And by the time I got finished speaking with him, he said, you know who you need to go talk to is 
And that became the whole thing that drove the Led you to the next one, led you to the next one. And let me just, and we need to give a shout out to Lauren Cordain. He's probably like the the super, one of the super original guys, right? Uh, But he wrote a book called The Paleo Diet and then several books uh, of the same ilk. In fact, uh, he has that shiz trademarked. So it's interesting because when I was writing my book and other people you cannot use, we cannot say, if you look in my book, it says paleo primal lifestyle or there's something there, but we cannot use the paleo diet. That guy locked it down. Um, But he's amazing. He's uh, been in Colorado for years researching this, and he was kind of one of the original people that came out and is uh, definitely featured in your film. Well, yeah, and I think, in fact, if you haven't seen the film, I would recommend it if for nothing else besides going to the digs in Jean Zak and seeing what the real, you know, becoming human story is, is I go with Lauren out onto a football field because most people don't understand time. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Give us this one. This is one of my favorite parts about the movie is being able to really kind of grasp these 2.5 million years, right. That we've been evolving. That's just it. Is is you hear stuff thrown about like that all the time, 3 million years, two and a half million years, (laughs) we've been eating this way and, and thus and such. So I thought, well, people don't really get that. I had seen a thing on CBS news where they rolled out a big piece of paper across the floor. That was from a dot matrix printer. (laughs) another historical piece of something you'll only find in a, in a museum, but none of that really made it easy. So I thought, well, everybody watches football, you know, everybody understands a football field and they understand the yard lines, the hundred yard lines and the fat. And they understand starting at one end is the beginning. And the goal is to get to the other end of the field. And, and, and in football, of course, carry the ball over the goal is your thing. Well, with us, we decided to start, two and a half million years ago, which was the discovery of the first stone tools and which made sense. And, um, uh, or did he say it? Well, it might've been a few hundred thousand years before that. Anyway, it was about the beginning of the stone tool area. And, and uh, Lauren and I walked down the football field and stopped and talked at special places along human evolution where there were physical changes that were directly related to diet and all, and I did sidebars of, for example, um, when we became the most human-like, where from the neck down we we were human, but the head up was still evolving. In Schönigen, Germany, they found the oldest hunting weapons ever found: over five hundred thousand animal bones, mostly horses, you know, and bison and things like that. Stuff you wouldn't think of as normal fare. Um, but we're, we were becoming more and more meat eaters. And this whole arc going down that football field really shows you mm-hmm. how we became eating eating more and more meat and animal foods. And those, those really intense uh, packages of nutrition as, uh, as th- that changed our whole physiology. We got bigger brains, our guts shrank to compensate. We still burned the same amount of energy, so we needed much uh, more potent packages of uh, protein and fats and and energy sources. So what's really interesting too, I think, and maybe this is a good place to throw it in, is when you go and see that, you can see that whole thing. You can see where we change diet and, 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 and it comes down to when did we start eating all this junk stuff that we can get into later also now includes fake meat <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about baby later, but we're talking about agricultural revolution, right? That's sort of the start of the quote crap, but now people think that stuff's good for you. 
And that was at the half yard line at the end. So all that length of the field, we had been eating only animal foods and a little bit of wild plants, no dairy, no grains, no processed foods, none of that kind of stuff. And then the modern junk food era came down to the last quarter of the last inch. It was the width of a one blade of grass out of that whole field that we've been eating the way we're eat, eating now. We meaning the general population. It's like when they do documentaries on the cosmos and they show, you know, and it's just so awesome. Like you realize how long things have gone on to even get, you know, hospitable to, to us. And then it kind of is the same when you do that football field, you realize how much time is in those each, you know, 10 yard line or whatever it is. But, you know, I asked you this not too long ago, but, you know, someone was saying to me, I was, I was saying, hey, well, you know, we haven't evolved that much since our hunter-gatherer ancestors. And someone was like, we look nothing like them. And I was like, eh. and, and And I called you and I was like, what's up with that? And you said that, I forgot what the time was. It was 150,000 years ago. You're like, we actually looked more like, I mean, again, no one had their uh, eyebrows waxed. <laughs> there wasn't, uh, you know, any Botox. But yeah. So, how, so how long have we looked sort of like modern humans versus some, Crazy. Actually, ask that in the film. In John Zock speaking to Shannon McFerrin, who is an archaeologist there with the Max Planck Institute, and I said, "So they look kind of like us," and he says, "Exactly like us." How long ago did they start? You think? Well, well that like- site was sixty thousand years ago, and he said it was true ever since. What we are, our species, is called modern humans. The modern humans, you know, Homo sapiens, sapiens, sapiens. But in archaeology and in their work, line of work, they were the moderns, were the modern humans. And before that were the, you know, the, the pre-humans, you know. And the thing, in, and let me just throw out this point since we're talking about it, is within the paleo-ancestor world about miscommunication, maybe, is this the right place to talk about miscommunication and misunderstandings about, <laughs> I, guess, I guess it is. If I brought it up, it's the right spot, Oprah would say. Um, so... Um, whether you've seen the film or not, you've been out there and you've read different authors, you've read, you've seen, you've listened to podcasts, you've looked at websites, and people are saying, oh, we've been eating meat for three million years. Well, let me clarify that a little bit, is that we, you and I, modern humans, did not exist for most of the Paleolithic. The Paleolithic had three distinct periods. It's the late, which is where we started at the beginning of the football field, the middle, and the early, which sounds backwards, but the early is where we came along. Somewhere in the 160,000 year range is where modern humans you know, emerged from Africa and moved into Northern Europe uh, and then spread around the globe. So um, the thing is, is if, if you know, a little, little details matter because if, if we don't get some things right within our community, at some point along the line, people are gonna go, you know, if, right. if they can't get something so basic right, you, you know, they're, they're just continuing to spread misinformation and everybody just goes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they accept it. And, and I think maybe maybe it's I don't know if it's elitism or what is it's just I, I would like for all of us to do better, <laughs> you know, to, to show up more present and, and with as much accuracy as we can, you know, to help share the information, because obviously these people want to help people, you know, if they're talking about it, but just don't slam dunk say, you know, we've been humans. Let's talk about humans hundred last 160,000 years ago. And that happened because of eating more meat and more, 
you know, animal foods and fats. And, um, you know, in fact, and I, I put it in my notes, it just recent within the last two months, I, U.S. Wellness meets really great folks, wonderful food, wonderful products online. If you want to, um, you know, order completely grass-fed, grass-finished meats, um, they're they're a wonderful source, and they helped with some post-production money for the film. Once, no input, just hey, you got that done. We'll help you, you know, pay the editor. So that, but some, but someone on their site, someone who is you know one of the you know, best places you can go to learn about regenerative agriculture and access those kinds of things. And I know you have a couple of companies too, L that you Yeah, Rep Provisions is great. Rep, same, same kind of thing. But they have a guest blogger who starts out, you know, this whole thing about the Paleolithic, you know, and then often called the Neolithic. And I just had to stop. That killed you. So explain why that's wrong. Give us the context. Well, the Neolithic, you know, the new Lithic, New Stone Age, um, as far as Paleolithic is, Lithic is Old Stone Age. The Neolithic is the little window that happened after the advent of agriculture, after we started, uh, you know, developing agriculture until that became. Which is then not synonymous with and not talking about the food and the things that you and I are talking about. Right. It's It has nothing to do. Right. The Paleolithic era. Right. In fact, we didn't learn anything from that part. We learned it from the other part. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. In fact, in fact, what's really neat about some of the science, which they can also see in the film of this radioisotopic analysis uh, from animals and Neanderthals and, you know, and uh, you can pull it from the plant world as well as the animal world and human bones. And it tells us, it shows us what foods we were eating, but it also shows what happens when we quit eating those foods. And you know, we went to hell in a handbasket. So the the yeah, to have a blogger like that on a on a site that features regenerative agriculture saying that it was the Neolithic was you know an inaccuracy that really shouldn't be there. Is people aren't you know no one's vetting apparently you know or looking reading reading closely because that's the period where we started running into trouble. It's not the right exactly that that was the wrong turn. Yeah. Um, and, and let me talk about one of those wrong turns. One of the things I quote often, I quote it in my book, and I remind people is that, um, and, and I know there's a little specific term here, but uh, the guy, the paleoanthropologist or whatever who was on your movie talked about how they really never saw rheumatoid arthritis on the archaeological record until we started the grain and the agricultural revolution. Um, that was probably Mike Richards, I think, at the Max Planck yeah. Institute, probably him. Um, but yeah, that's just it. Rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of things didn't show up in the archaeological record. I mean, the what people might have heard is some some of the stuff like, well, when we started eating grains, we lost four to six inches in height. We got weak and brittle bones. We had formerly had very robust skeletons, and now they were weak and brittle. They had uh, we had rotting in the orbits of the eyes of the skulls that had been um, uh, recovered, and and also and rotting teeth and dental caries were also un unknown for the most part, you know, uh, in the archeological record. Not the case, though, because they dig up someone who was like 60,000 years ago, skeleton, perfectly intact teeth, uh, bones and everything else. Well, yeah. And it wasn't the until they dug up someone from around agricultural that it looked really bad. 
Well, and we even have examples of that from the exact location. There's a place in Kentucky, I think it might be pronounced Hoonan Dig, and Dr. Eads had written about it, is that, you know, several thousand years ago, there's a mound, you know, where they, all their remnants are and their skeletons and everything. And, oh, there's my T3 alarm. And there it is. <laughs> there you go. Um, no, we're good. We're good. So anyway, there are remnants there from- You can definitely take a break on this podcast to go swallow your thyroid medication. <laughs> like that, that's this. allowed here. <laughs> we're a little early, so we're good. We're okay, good. good. Uh, which is probably the only reason why my brain is working. So um, <laughs> so anyway, but they do have the mounds there and they have more recent, you know, uh, the same, you know, the same peoples, the same descendants eating, you switching over to, you know, mostly corn and agricultural products and tubers and things like that. And it's that those examples hold true, robust when they were hunters, falling apart when they're farmers, you know, and, um, you know, that is a lesson, Yes. you know, that, that it's really important that we get our minds around now, I think in particular with the way the world is going, wanting to, and so many people wanting to push vegan diets as you know, the go-to place to save the world. But the, the, the thing is, is we're not, we're not learning from history, you know, and, and I don't know who said it, but I, I guess that happens over and over again, is that we run into that problem. And, you know, of course, those people didn't know what was going on. The upside, according to the same guy, Max Planck Institute with Mike Richards, was that um, population exploded. You know, when you're not small groups of 40 or so walking around, you know, and, and you know, pitching camp and hunting and, you know, eating the local reindeer for a month and then moving somewhere else when you when you basically can stay because you've domesticated a wild plant, a grain and decided that you can use that as a source of nourishment. Um, um, you got more time on your hands. There's no television. There's no Internet. So <laughs> what you're going to do? So I guess they had a lot of babies. And, you know, that, and so it exploded. So that was the upside for our species because part of the definition of the success of a species in, in, in their world, in the archeological world, in Max Planck, is, is survival and how many people exist. So by that definition, definition we've been really successful. Sure. But on a, on a global scale, but on a personal experience level. We failed, yeah. We failed. And um, a few people have found that out and a few people are taking self-responsibility like you're helping people do and turning their own personal lives around and their friends and family. But it's a, by a long shot, it's not the norm. And it's um, and most people don't understand it, don't think it's true, and, you know, or, or I've never been exposed to it. In fact, most of the people, look, here's the eighth anniversary of the film. Right, came out eight years ago, and uh, hit number one, and did all those great things thanks to Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf's promotion. Right, and um, but most the 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 paleo world, the keto world, the carnivore world, the people in it has exploded. Exploded <laughs> since then, I know. Amazing. What is that? Yet most people ha haven't seen the movie, and the movie's the the. The movie's the reason why you're all doing it. Go see it so you can even like get, I mean, honestly, oh, perfect human guy is so good. You can see it. And, and I've got four links where you can see it for free. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys, you this is, commercials. especially if you're a primal health coach, you're interested in this stuff. I'm telling you, you are going to love this film. It's one of my favorites. I wouldn't even keep having CJ on and continue to talk about this, but he's a constant resource for it. And I'm looking forward to a sequel at some point because there's so much more to cover. Um, there is, there is. And, and so much has changed since COVID and things are pivoting a little bit. So that's also, also affecting um, what will show up in the sequel. So that's, that's, it's all good in the end. Let's talk about, um, you know, let's chat a little bit. You had, you went to like a vegetarian or vegan conference or something somewhere in the documentary and there's that woman selling the stuff. Uh, let's, um, okay. Uh, we're going to get into fake meat and all this bullshit for a second, but we are inherently not meant to be vegans. They have this argument though, that there was one group that was for a period of time or we used to be and we need to get back to that, which, by the way, though, then that would mean we'd have to like devolve. Right. <laughs> like completely, yeah. which is not possible. Um, and they also say, well, you know, our makeup is not meant for meat, which is the exact opposite, in my opinion. It's clearly it is. Can you just kind of touch those points for the people that get hit with the vegan friends going, oh, we're meant humans were meant for this or our digestive systems are meant for to live this way, etc. Well, that was one of the things that actually turned out to be a little bit amusing. That when I was starting the journey in the film, I lived in San Francisco. I was going to San Francisco State, and it just so happened that World Vegetarian Day was happening a few days later there in San Francisco. And I went there, and you know, and and I just asked a question. I said, "What do you think is perfect human diet?" You know, that kind of thing. Just just to see what they would have to say. There was even a vegan dog company selling vegan and they're, they're still out there. I looked them up the other day and and yeah, I know it's kind of interesting. And one of the gals in there says, well, you know, we're not meant to eat all that fat and cholesterol. Well, since then science has now shown, even though the registered dietitian world is not singing its praises is that saturated fat is not a problem and is not related to coronary artery disease, not statistically in any way. You know, and the things that are related to it are things that are political, you know, time bombs. It's the, you know, it's the sugar industry and things like that, which, um, you know, people don't want to deal with. Just like overpopulation, there are things that people don't want to look at and say, okay, that's the problem. Maybe we ought to try to do something about it. So the thing is about the human physiology, and and there's another, I'm going to sound like I'm <laughs> film promoter. From, from, I'm like out there at the circus hawking the film, but Dr. Eads really explains it well about how we have carnivorous digestive tracts, you know, about the length of our colon and the size of our stomach, you know, and, and cows were the example of ruminants for stomachs. These things, these creatures are designed to eat grass and then convert it into not only things that we can use, but things that they can use, they have a fermentation system where bacteria change. They don't even really live on grass. They live on the stuff that the, the bacteria changes in their stomachs into new nutritional properties. You so know. it's like this sort of internal conversion process that they have that's specific to them that allows them to eat all this cellulose and whatever garbage. Exactly. In fact, I have to find it for you. Give me two seconds. There's... I. Because did you watch Game of Thrones? Uh, I watched the first three seasons, then I bailed out. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, nobody lived that you wanted to live, so don't worry about. It. So, <laughs> I got spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> no, here, but here's a quote that I saw that I really think you'll appreciate. So, if you did watch Game of Thrones, there's a you know a young lady in it who ends up um, being significant to the storyline, and at one point before she has her power, she's captured by a group of renegade warriors known as the Dothraki, and um, you know, and she's tied up and she's being dragged along basically as they head towards their camp. And the, the fellow on horseback says, you have to drink child and eat. He hands her horse jerky. She says, isn't there anything else? And he said, the Dothrakis have two things in abundance, horses and grass. People can't live on grass. <laughs> so I what a there, great plug. Thanks, well, GOT. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the Dothraki knew it. Why don't we know it? That's but, right. So, but the thing is, that's just it, is in the vegan world and in the, you know, in the rewriting of history, in the rewriting of physiology, they say, oh, well, our teeth aren't meant to be carnivores because we don't have the same teeth as a lion. You know, uh, that we've got molars for crushing, so we must be grain eaters, you know. Um, yet, you know, a horse or cows, they, they, their, their jaws, of course, separate and they're able to, it has a whole different grinding pattern. They say our intestinal tract isn't the right length to be, uh, you know, a meat eater, that they, they think that it's perfectly designed for plants, which, as we mentioned a minute ago, it, it's not. And, but the thing is, is that people don't see what they don't want to see. It's like Dr. Um, Sears basically said that when it comes to nutrition and it comes, it's like religion and politics. He says, don't bother me with the truth because in my heart, I know what's right. A lot of that in the world today, <laughs> but yeah, you know. Well, and this is, you know, it's interesting because years ago, uh, not too long after your movie came out, right? Forks Over Knives came out, another propaganda nightmare. Anyway, I had just finished doing this documentary, right, on Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands and stuff. And anyway, there was something in the first 10 minutes where they were like, people of those regions, the reason they're so healthy is because they eat a low fat diet, mostly vegetarian. I thought, that's not true. Like, and, and but I only knew that wasn't true because I, what a niche part of the world, Melanesia, not many people are like, even I didn't even know anything before I wrote this documentary. So, so I'm like, uh, yeah, that's not my impression of that culture. I even called up the director of the film. I go, hey, I got a question for you about maybe just Papua New Guineans and this area. She's like, are you kidding me? They they worshipped pork. They ate a ton of coconut fat. Like now, of course, they might get grains in and other things because the world has modernized and unfortunately brought that crap over there. Um, so then all of these propaganda films come out and I would run into people in the grocery store, even like a year ago, ran into someone, a dude, buying... Um, Impossible Burgers. And I stopped him and I said, hey, I hope you don't mind me asking, are, are you a vegetarian or are you eating? He goes, yeah. And I go, what was your decision to start eating that instead of, let's say, go buy some real burgers right now? And again, he, I said, was it a documentary? And he said, yes. And I think it was what the, I don't know what it was. But again, it was some documentary on it. Now we are talking about a documentary that you did. But we got to look behind the scenes. You have like great evidence and experts in your film. Uh, you have a book with citations and evidence. Um, the interesting thing to me, and this is where, and we'll get into it because I know you probably have some examples where 
these articles are written either way. That's why it's so confusing. You read a health magazine on one page, they're advertising cupcakes. On the next page, they're saying that carbs are bad for you. But then the next page, they're saying keto is best. And it's all over the place. And that's why people are so damn confused. And so when there's some article comes out that claims something and someone sends it to me, I'm always like, ah, I'd love to have CJ's mind because you really like take the investigative journalist tactic and kind of look further, like you'll look up the writers. Like, so give us a few examples of some of these headlines and things and news blurbs and BS that have come up that, you know, you and I have probably discussed. Well, yeah, you know, it's, well, first off, when when it comes to documentary there, that um, people tend to throw them all together, but there are investigative documentaries, investigative journalistic documentaries, and there are things that Propaganda. Propaganda. They already know what they want to say, and they're going to cherry pick whatever they can find in order to say it. In fact, I thought it was really interesting, and I, I don't have the website right now, but the guys that made Cowspiracy and What the Health apparently got some attention on their first cut of What the Health, and it got the notice of, oh, God. Of course, now I'm blanking on the, the star's name. Um Oh, right. Like a celebrity that was jumping on the bandwagon of it. Not James Cameron. He did Game Changers. Right, right, right. I'm sorry. The Revenant. Oh, Leonardo. Oh, yeah. Leonardo. On the bandwagon of cows are bad and they're causing climate change. And he was really what he's talking about. And the stuff that they showed was like the horrible industrial feedlots, not any of the stuff you and I would want to eat nor promote. Well, and as, as I understand it, they weren't even in the United States. They were down in Australia. Or That's something. right. Or like Brazil and some other places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, places, they found the worst places they could possibly find in order to skew the the um, message, the messaging of their film. I mean, it's... Uh, it's such you know, a disgrace, though, because the guy at the Gelson's who bought the Impossible Burger bought it because he was convinced by false bullshit in a documentary, false facts. And I mean, we'll talk, well, I'm sure you have something to say on that. And then I do want to get into Ansel Keys and the China study and just sort of like how we have a hit, there's history of this cherry picking that's really affected us until our community came around and said, no, this is wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just it. And just to clarify right at the beginning and something we can talk more about too, is the world is even more so now than before, than when the documentaries came out, is what Nina Teicholds and I talked about, and she called them information silos. And a silo, for those of you who don't know, is a grain silo on a farm, which is a metal, round metal container, you know, 100 or 200 feet high, that holds only one thing, and corn, right? So it's a silo. So now, Twitter and Facebook and all these things, they have influencers and and you know, extensions of the documentary and exception of the vegan world. And, and the same holds true for carnivore and keto and paleo, but they are followed primarily only by the people that believe that message. People don't want to be challenged. Yeah. They, you know, and I get it. You know, I was 20 years old and I was at the gym riding a bicycle, reading a book that said, you know, the, the Bible wasn't accurate. <laughs> you know, all my life I'd heard different. It was, right? So you were like, how dare you tell like, me this thing? What? But you were ensconced as well from a young age into that. And right. So of course that makes sense. And same thing, you know, if you were raised vegetarian or if you were raised thinking money is evil or whatever the thing oh. is, you're going to carry through. But it's interesting because 
I was already a fully formed adult and I did not want to hear the grains were bad for you. I did. Oh, CG. I did not want to hear that news. I did no. What? I was like working for Mark going, what? Like all <laughs> Like, are you kidding me? And no dairy, like what kind of shit? Um, and not to say, again, I'm honest about it. I don't have an autoimmune disorder. So occasionally, yes, you're going to see me eat a sandwich. and probably going to have gluten in it, but it's so rare. Um, my whole life, though, was that was a regular part of my life. I mean, yeah, every day. but again, until you do the N equals one, you know, the reason Mark even came across it was because he was resistant to it. His wife said, what the hell? Why wouldn't you just try it for 30 days? He did, and his arthritis went away, and his tendonitis went away. His IBS that ran his life went away. And the same goes for me when I did those things and noticed the difference. And so uh, it was challenging, though. I mean, it was a rough idea to wrap your head around when whole grains and this whole thing is pushed. Every dietitian in the world would tell you to still eat by the government food pyramid. I think it's six to 11 servings of grains a day and two to four servings of fruit. And we, we wonder why we have diabetes. So um, yeah, it yeah. hasn't changed uh, those recommendations, even the new, yeah. new, new guidelines. It's still the same. Yeah, still the same. They, they, they fuss with the language a little bit to try to be politically correct, you know, but still they want people to eat less saturated fat, even though the science doesn't say that, you know. Well, let's talk about that. So I went, I, this happened a couple of times. I'm going to the store. I'm, I, I went to have them cut a piece of prime rib because there was like, you know, the deli section at one grocery store, they have like a cooked prime rib and they can slice off a piece for you. So there was already a piece that was sliced that was left. And I said, I'll just take that one. And it had a bunch of fat in it and stuff. And she said, do you want me to cut the fat out? And I said, no. She goes, oh, you must have a dog. And I go, no. <laughs> and it's so funny. And then another time someone said, oh, I was like getting beef ribs or whatever it was. And they're like, oh, aren't you like worried about all the fat? And I was like, oh my God. So let's go back to Ansel Keys and this horrible thing that he did, which then started that low fat movement that went through the eighties that screwed a bunch of us up. And well, then how we got back to realizing it wasn't criminal to eat saturated fat. and It wasn't a problem. Can you give us a rundown on that? Well, sure. I mean, the, it's, a, it's another thing when I was speaking with Nina Teichold, it's that, that it's our history, our nutritional history and Ansel Keys and, and, um, and the things that came after the whole low fat movement and is really a political history sure. more than an accurate nutritional science history. And it was interesting times in, I guess it was the fifties that Eisenhower was still president. Um, he was a general, by the way, for those of you that don't know that before he was president. Um, and he had cardiac problems and issues and he wanted uh, there to be an investigation into things that might be done about it. And one of the leading um, nutritionists, I guess you'd call him, or scientists, nutritional scientists of the day was Ansel Keys. He was, um, he was an interesting personality and he really forced things through primarily on his personality. Mm -hmm. He did a report, you know, the seven nation study about, you know, coronary artery disease and who was more likely to get, coronary artery disease, and he cherry-picked the studies and threw away the ones that didn't agree with him and kept the ones that he thought would imply that he was right and that were, you know, epidemiological studies, which, as, you know, you've talked about many times in period, doesn't prove anything. It's not the cause. It doesn't show the cause. It says, well, hmm, this is interesting. 
let's find out if it's true. So let's set up the science and test it. And of course, there was a lot of resistance to that kind of thing. And people that were against what he had to say, you know, ended up in the basement of colleges and, and things like that. And that's not an exaggeration. Their careers were ruined because they didn't agree. And what that did is it, it changed the way America ate. There was a major Time Magazine article that had some keys on the front, you know, about how saturated fats and fats were causing, you know, heart disease, which had been, you know, up to a hundred years ago or so, with very, very low, even in the United States, because, you know, we were, it's like very serious said, what about organic food? Well, 80 years ago, everything was organic. You know, right. it was a hundred years ago, everything was organic. Differentiate back then, yeah. Yeah, everybody ate primarily, you know, grass-fed meat for the most part, because industrialization hadn't really taken over. It was there, but it wasn't everywhere yet. But so, you know, you could grow up on a lot healthier foods. You know, people used to, they used to do cod liver oil, you know, and force the kids to drink it. Anyway, so the point is, is that keys influenced the nutritional science that wasn't. And the thing is, is if the, the politics went in step, that meant that the businesses that were involved with politics, the food businesses, had to respond with products that met the new guidelines um, there goes the cereal generation, you know, revolution and the whole, all the, all the low, all the low fat, food, the, yeah. low fat, non-fat, you know, all these new products were invented and to do that. Usually when you take out the fat, you have to replace it with something else. And it was usually carbohydrate, okay. you know, and in sync with this behind the scenes is where you see the curve, the curve going up of rates of coronary artery disease. We took out the fat, we added sugar, things got worse, but no one's fessing up to that. Right. And, you know, and so what's amazing too, and I just want to clarify for people that may not know this, this is sort of the way I think about it. Maybe you have a, a more sciencey way of explaining it, but saturated fat in and of itself is not the problem. But if you were to eat a, a diet high in saturated fat and also hard high carb, then yeah, your body would be so busy maybe dealing with the carbs and the glucose that it's really not burning the fat. And then not only getting fatter, but yeah, maybe you are getting some stagnant or crappy lipid panels or whatever, but in and of itself, no. And that's the thing too, is a lot of these studies or a lot of these hypotheses don't involve like, well, what else is the person eating? You know, unless you can dictate, because I mean, I take you take a carnivore, you take a, a standard paleo person, there's going to be no problems there. Um, because they're okay. not eating the excess of carbs slash sugar slash whatever. Right. And if Ansel Keys was right, people that are now carnivore diet therapeutically and keto and low carb paleo and stuff. Well, you, 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 you would be an example of someone you are the antithesis, right? They'd say you shouldn't have lived this long. You should have dropped dead again on a track. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and eating, eating this way, if the vegetarians were right, if the press was right, if the, this, Somehow you just can't kill it. You know, these, these ideas, they just keep recycling over and over and over again. That, you know, if they were right, there would be lines at the emergency rooms of people dying with, from eating meat, you know. And well, it's funny because someone was asking Dr. Ken Berry, who's like carnivore doc kind of guy. Uh, it was it's like earlier today or something, he tweeted, someone had said, Hey, is it like, what about a vegan diet for like animals or is it, is it unhealthy or something like that? And he's like, gee, I don't see vet clinics lined up with wolves and like, you know, like 
with cardiac issues. Um, yeah, no, because they're meant to eat, eat meat, which is why vegan dog food is probably the cruelest thing you could ever do. If you're going to make that choice for yourself, that's one thing. Please do not deny the DNA of a dog. Um, yeah. If you want to deny it yourself, you've made that choice. They don't have the choice. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw it just like a month ago. There were some people arrested for abusing their dog and their pets by feeding them. And they were it was so sad, these little puppies. You know, you know I'm sorry, I don't have a link to it. I'm sure I could find it if you need it. But these starved, they were obviously starved in their skin, in their bones, and they were being fed starch, you know, no protein, you know, that kind of thing. Because And the parents, though, in this case, were arrested and fined, and they took the dogs away. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, one didn't make it. It, it died, and the, but the other ones were looking good. You know, what about... And, go ahead. No, that's okay. Go on. Well, let's, um, let's talk about the other crappy study the, the china study right give us yeah, a rundown yeah. on what they concluded and the bs behind that because these are things again that lots of people still will bring up <laughs> you know the china study i guess certainly before what the health and you know before we've been able to do a lot of this propaganda type messaging through video visually visual medium is really powerful you know you see a mother drinking milk who's pregnant with a radioactive signal on her stomach that you're going to go, Hmm, you know, it's going to, it's scary. It's a scary image, but it, it's not true. That was it. What, what the hell? But the, um, I just totally bonked. So the China, the, study. Oh, China study, so the China study preceded this and the China study inspired a lot of these uh, filmmakers that have come along since with a nutritional health message. And the thing is about the China study is that there are really two China studies. There is the China study, which is the real study that was done in China. That was an epidemiological study um, that T. Colin Campbell, the author of the China study, popular book, um, was part of the creation team and, uh, you know, And anyway, he po he popularized the notions that he came away with go from this study. Now, this study was a large population study. They wanted to go to China because, you know, where else could you find a population where people were so genetically similar? You know, their dietary habits were really similar. You know, their cancer rates were predictable, you know, and low. And it, where, where it was low, they had low protein diets. And he actually, he went in with an agenda, you know, and in the same way with the, the documentaries is some, some folks go in with an agenda and they want to, they want to find something. And when you want to find something, you often do. <laughs> so he went in and one of the, one of the elements of contributing to um, cancer was, I don't know if I'm saying it right, a floxin, um, which is like mold that grows on grains and corn and things like that in that silo. Um, that is toxic and, and the enzyme that interacted with that and that they did studies effectively, some of them where they used casein as uh, and overloaded these poor mice, which were genetically altered mice, by the way, to get cancer easier. You know, they're science mice, they're not real mice. As Dr. Reed said, the real mice are out there living in the silo, eating that stuff all the time. So they're probably doing okay with it, right? And um, 
you know, and they tried a, a number of different things. And they, his conclusion was that the mice who had a more protein in their system were got more cancer because of the way it changed the reaction with this enzyme and the toxin. And that when they gave them starch instead of casein for milk, which would never be in the that's what, that's what I was saying. Like then they're combining, they're right. They've already screwed their whole thing by the thing is, casein. Yeah, exactly. Is that that his, and by the way, just side note, 65% of the population has an issue with casein, as Lauren Cordain will tell you in his book. So that's right, what right, exactly. So so in fact, I here I dug up a little thing for you. Let me find it. I got some tags so I could say it accurately. Let me move this out of the way. So here we go. China said it. See, he said, T. Colin Campbell said about the whole thing about the China study, that when he wrote in the book, he writes, at the end of the day, the strength and consistency of the majority of the evidence is enough to draw valid conclusions. Namely, whole plant-based foods are beneficial and animal-based foods are not. But literally one inch below that, he writes, the China study, the real China study, was an important milestone in my thinking. Standing alone, it does not prove that diet causes disease. So he's saying meat's detrimental, plants are good, yet this real study of which I'm saying what I drew from it, they're not even saying that shit. Right, and he even said that. See, this is why I love TJ. This is why I just want to share with the audience. See, this is the kind of critical thinking <laughs> that you need. And someone just goes, hey, I read this study, and this is what it says. And you look a little closer at it, and it falls apart. Well, that's just it. And he even admitted it in there. But the pages before and the pages after are all stuff about how what he believes is true. You know, and... When they went to do the China study, it was based on another study, which was a rat study. And he didn't tell people it was a rat study to begin with. And then he did like did the same thing. He mentioned it. Oh, yeah, this came from the day studied on rats and stuff. But for the next two pages, he doesn't mention rats anymore. And so the impression you come away with is, oh, well, he must be talking about humans. Right. Like that. that right. It's this um, sort of mis misleading you to think that somehow you'll draw the conclusion that the study or the evidence or his conclusions are coming from testing on humans. Right. Or, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And again, these things are just so misleading, you know, the flipping comments and forks over knives. And this is why uh, I love the work you do. Um, before we get into thyroid stuff, let's just touch on this disastrous fake meat shit. Um, I first want to say, and I probably said it before, and I bet the audience is like, okay, already, but <laughs> People who say everybody can be a vegan, you know, everybody can be vegetarian, therefore you should. So even if you do believe meat's harming the environment, let's just say we all agreed on that for a second. Not everybody still can't, right? So we know that there are carnivores that cannot handle any plant matter, and that is why they have to stay carnivore or their lives are a disaster and they're sick and will die. Um, same goes for the mountain living family in the Andes or wherever with a, with yaks. And that's all they got. Not everyone has access to this. So it's a very elitist position. I've spoken about this, you know, with Rob and everything else. And I know Bill Gates is out there going, well, every wealthy nation should do it because we quote can, but the truth is, and this is where like a famous vegan who became a non-vegan went, he was coaching people and he realized, you know, it was always told and part of their propaganda is like, well, this is a choice. You, you can choose to do it. 
But then there's the people out there with autoimmune disorders or just for whatever reason can't handle plant matter. And they're going, actually, I can't. And he realized some of his clients literally couldn't eat plant matter. So then that just kind of screwed him up because he was like, well, hold on a minute. Like, if I if I think everybody can do it, you know, meeting people who like physically can't, right? So there's all those issues. But now we've got this whole fake meat and possible burgers and possible meat. This stuff is just filled with shit. It's disgusting. I'm just like, ugh. And I feel it's kind of trickery because people who don't didn't know about it first. I was at a restaurant with a friend. And I knew what the Impossible Burger was, but she's like, oh, I'm going to order this. It said the Impossible Burger and it had all these toppings on it. It looked awesome. She literally thought it was meat. She just thought that the Impossible part was all these amazing toppings on it. And I said to her, I'm like, uh, I don't think you want to order that because when they say Impossible Burger, that means you're not going to get a real, she's like, oh God, well, no, I don't want that. And it's almost like, it's like, they're trying to like, they're trying to, it's like kind of tricky. <laughs> throwing it into places you have to like really suss out. I went to the store I bought something and then I because it had a picture of a pig or it looked like real pork rinds but it wasn't it was like vegan bullshit pork rinds and I was like damn it and I was so, so mad because I got tricked by the labeling and didn't look at it and I legit thought it was meat products and by the way I think they passed it or it's about to pass in Texas that they're going to make it illegal for these plant-based companies to use any words that have to sound like meat you know, and yeah, things like I, I agree. I, don't, I, I actually agree with that. I don't think they should be able to use the word burger. And also, I should never be in the meat section ever. Well, well, and all of them have some big sticker somewhere that says plant-based meat or some big slash or something. I tell you, the beef people are really missing an opportunity. Because beef is plant-based meat. <laughs> Listen, if, they, if the vegans... 100% plant, especially if you're doing regenerative agriculture, grass-fed cows, it's absolutely plant-based. Well, exactly. You know, even if they go to an industrial feed, they're going to get corn, you know, soy, and those are still plants, except for the few places that throw, you know, leftover cookies and candy in there. Some do, but uh, or have. Um, but that that that's just it. The uh, people don't know, and they're getting the wolves pull over their eyes. And you know, but that world is exploding. It's all all over the place. Tyson Foods and Cargill. And, you know, the big meat, industrial meat complex people have seen the popularity, doesn't matter if it's based in truth or not, of this, the vegan diet and vegan foods, real or not. And they've all jumped on the bandwagon to make new fake meats of all kinds, you know, and in fact, Singapore, China just made a deal with uh, the just people that made the first egg mayonnaise out of uh, soybeans or something like that to sell cell based chicken. I think it's chicken nuggets. They're going to do first. Um, yeah. But there's the first country to adopt that kind of a thing in a, in a deal. But here's the, here's the thing. Let me read. Shall I read you the ingredients? Please. Let's look at what's in an impossible beyond burger or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, here's here's the thing. They're playing off of this. Let me quickly interject and we can come back if you want. Nutrition isn't winning anymore in the vegan field. And in fact, uh, I have a whole article here from. I mean, it's uh, more of the ethical, emotional climate plea, the bullshit there that they're doing. Right. So, so like, here's, here's a, a lifetime vegan, pretty much, lady, vegan dietitian reviews, all scathing about how inaccurate and how wrong the things are that are being said. 
And effectively, she comes at the end and saying, why are we lying about stuff that's going to easily be disproved? The way to sell this is ethics. It's, you know, don't hurt animals. You know, so they've right. gone. Or, or you're affecting the environment negatively, which is bullshit. But again, it's playing to that versus the nutrition because they got nothing on the nutrition game. Right. So that, that's really their pillars. That's their two pillars now is, is environment and that, which is the same way. I'm pointing at my notes is the same way Impossible Burger and, and uh, Beyond Burger are marketing their products. And if you go on there to their website, in fact, with the regenerative agriculture, you'll like this. They say regenerative agriculture is worse than industrial beef for destroying the planet. Okay, that's crazy. I would love to hear what their reasoning is or how they- It's on, it's on their webpage. I can send you the link after if you like. But yeah. it's kind of like what the what the health kids did afterward is they 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 went after as soon as regenerative agriculture started getting some traction because of Alan Savory, right? Um, uh, that they attacked it immediately with an article called The Illusion of Eco Beef, you know, and, and immediately trying to undermine it. You know, it's um so interesting because again, you can like go to the ranch and you can see and hear and smell and see for yourself exactly the ecosystem that's created and fostered by that versus the cornfield across the street that has no activity happening because it's just dead crap. GMO. That's just it. It's just like it's just like this. Yeah. Don't want to see it, don't want to hear it, don't want to mm-hmm. the three little monkeys, right? Right. Um, so, so let me tell you, do you want the ingredients? Yeah, that's this. Yeah. Okay, so Impossible Burger says the reason um, people like want to eat these plant-based burgers is because they, their secret sauce is hemi. Now, you know, hemi iron is in human blood and in animal blood and all that kind of stuff. So, but they, they said that that's the molecule that makes meat taste like meat. So they figured out a way to create it chemically, artificially, out of plants at first to put it into it's a totally genetically modified situ genetically engineered situation here's well here's their ingredient list water soy protein concentrate so these are all extracts right coconut oil which is kind of a new thing because they've been getting so much trouble safflower sunflower oil rather natural flavors two percent or less of protein potato protein Methyl cellulose, yeast extract, cultured dextrose. How do you culture sugar? <laughs> I never thought about that. Food, food starch modified, soy leghemoglobin, which is the which is the, their manufactured proprietary BS. Right, it's what makes them bleed. Their burger bleeds. Salt mixed tocopherols as an antioxidant. Soy protein isolate again as God twice, and then they add vitamins and minerals including vitamin B12, because, of course, if you're a vegetarian and you're eating this instead of meat, you need B12. You need B12, and you have to take it artificially, so they have to put it in there. Okay, this is what kills me, though. So, so many things kill me about this. (laughs) They make everything taste like meat. If you like that taste, you have to eat meat. Your body's telling you that. There are some vegan vegetarians who are disgusted by the smell of meat, who I've met who were vegan from a young age and were like, oh, just can't have anything to do with it. 
But it's interesting because I talk to many people who go vegetarian based on these ethics or whatever the hell bullshit reasons are. And then uh, they go, well, then you teach them the opposite. You go, well, actually, you could eat burgers if you ate them from a regenerative farm. You don't need to feel like you're contributing to this. They can't get it through their head, but they all miss something. They all wish. And it's like, so it's amazing that it's replicated to taste like meat and stuff. It's like, that says everything right there. Do you know what I mean? Like inherently within the producing and making of something that looks like it bleeds. If we're talking about, you don't want to fucking kill animals. Why would you, you know, I mean, it's amazing, but those are for the people who are doing it for quote, the false health reasons, right. Or a reluctant meat eaters moving to plant-based. And I think that's what's so dangerous about these kind of real looking burgers. The kind that says the impossible burger on the menu, you have no idea because you don't know the name of it and you get it. And, um, and again, whatever, maybe you're like, all right, this burger tastes great. I mean, I've had people who have said, you know what, it was actually pretty good, but it's fake. Why wouldn't you eat the real thing? Your body's craving it. You like the taste of it. Well, that's just it. Is that, that, um, you know, it's been said to me a number of times. It's like, well, if they're against eating meat, why, why do you want to replicate it? Why do you want a fake meat? Why do you want to duplicate it? Because the truth is. They love the taste of it and they miss meat. And you want it. <laughs> you you know. want it. That's right. You want it inherently. Your body's a human being or else you'd be repelled by it. And you're not. You are just trying to trick your body into thinking it got something that it was desiring and it was propelling you towards. But instead you gave it this. Well, and the thing is, fake, is, you know, these are experiments. You know, no one knows if someone really ate a lot of this stuff as the main part of their diet for years and years. No one knows what would happen. You know, it can't be any better than the standard American diet, I would think. You no, know? no. You know? We already have too much evidence of the other, the true, pure thing, the thing that actually bleeds. And you don't need to make a fake, you know, science lab. Well, and, it, and it's really crazy. Get this. It's like at first, when they first made that blood, they made it from the roots of soy or something like that. But so, yeah, the root nodules. Here's their quote. We started by extracting hemi, hem or hemi, from the root nodules of soybean plants. But we knew there was a better way. So we took the DNA from these soy plants and inserted it into a genetically engineered yeast. They ferment the yeast to produce this red stuff. And the way they, they get away with it, they try to get away with it, they insert very similar to the way Belgian beer is made. So everything's a, everything's a cover at the same time that you say, such a like it's no more harmless than drinking beer kind of thing because they they have to sit there and talk about how it was genetically you know they're they're modifying and genetically messing with this DNA stuff so then they just throw in like it's no different than a beer. Well, yeah, and they were challenged at first that they didn't have approval from the FDA and it was a big brouhaha. And you know, in fact, I think there's an article on my blog if anyone wants to look it up under the archive of the blog where the the CEO. I don't remember his name, but of uh, the company was upset. He was mad that they had to prove that this stuff was safe. So they went out and they did rat studies, right? And they said, you know, and gave them copious amounts of this stuff. And they said, oh, well, this proves it's safe. They didn't, you know, roll over and, you know, RIP immediately. Well, and well, then- Well, so if they're doing this study, I'm not sure how much it tries to say. But then, uh, you know, and, and they kind of, rushed it through and got it out there in the public so much that the FDA and everybody kind of went, well, okay, nothing bad is happening yet. So they, they let it slide through. But, but 
which is weird. It doesn't, that doesn't normally happen. But the thing is, is if you click the links at the bottom of their justifications to look at the studies, the studies are done by people they hired. Of course. Yes. Right. And again, this is just such confirmation bias. And-, and that's the same. The first thing they say about the meat industry if is that, well, there was political influence. That's why the dietary guidelines didn't change it this way. Or that's why they that's why meat is still being sold there is because they had political influence or they were the meat people skewed the studies. Boy, look, I'm getting all up on my soapbox. But anyway, um, yeah. but the thing is, is there they are. It's the they used to say the pot calling the kettle black. You know, it's uh, I'm sure that no one will make sense of that one. But it's uh, it's that they're both the same thing. And, you know, they're using that as justification. So do you want to put beyond meats ingredients? It's not much better. Sure. I mean, what's different about it? Or was there like one ingredient? They don't, they don't bleed. Okay. <laughs> they both start with water. Like They don't say it's pure water. It's just water. Anyway, pea protein. And it's got a little star next to it. It says peas are legumes. At least they're honest enough to do this. People with severe allergies, allergies to legumes like peanuts should be cautious when introducing pea protein into their diet because of the possibility of a pea allergy. They don't contain peanuts or tree nuts. So at least they would say, oops, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't tolerate this caution. So that's kind of like their lawyers putting that out there is that if you eat this and you, you know, drop dead on the floor and you can't get to your, you know, EpiPen fast enough. It's just that we warned you it was on, on the website. So it's pea protein. That's their main ingredient. Expeller pressed canola oil. And we know how good that is for you. Refined coconut oil, rice protein, natural flavors, cocoa butter, mung bean protein. Now, these are all extracts. Remember, these proteins that we're talking about, they, they do not. But they're not the actual thing mashed up. They're not mashed up beans. They're something that they smashed, extracted, and got some molecules of it up. Um, methyl cellulose, potato starch, apple extract, pomegranate extract. I guess that makes it coloring healthier too. Salt, potassium chloride, vinegar, lemon juice, concentrate, sunflower, lecithin, beet juice extract for color. So, so this is it. People are willing to because they think it's better for the planet, or it's kinder to the animals, or it's the they. I'm not sure if they even really believe or need to believe that the nutrition is fine, you know, that, but that just that it meets those other criteria and it filled me up that they're willing, willing to eat this stuff. And, you know, well, and that's no different than, I mean, you know, you and I, right. Where we might be out at a restaurant, maybe we would eat a piece of meat that's not regenerative or something. But for the most part, you and I are going to make that choice because we don't see them as all equal. They are not all the same. You know what I mean? Like we have a discerning mind that goes, well, it is better for me and everything else in the animal if I do it this way. And I want to support that. Um, we're not just blind meat eaters and promoting that. We're like meat, but, or meat with this nuance. Right. And so there needs to be more of that because there's too many blanket uh, conclusions. And also, too, half of them are just really unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, and Dr. Sebring said, and uh, I think he says it briefly, so you might miss it in the store tour in the movie, is that, you know, if you get commercial re- meat, just trim the fat if you're a little worried about Because if there's anything bad in it, it's going to be in the fat. fat. 
you know, so turn that off and then eat an avocado, eat some Kerrygold butter, you know, add back some good fats, eat some coconut oil. You know, there's also, you know, all sorts of make your fajitas in coconut oil or avocado oil, like you suggested to me for the Brussels sprouts, you know, um, you know, that kind of a thing. So that it is, it's not a science project world away from real food like these other things are. It's still real food, maybe not raised the, as ideally as we would prefer. But, but better than this. Well, the constituents are still effectively the same. That, and they still, you know, nourish effectively the same. And the important parts like the hemiron and stuff like that, that's all there. And that's what our body recognizes. You know, it has the B12 that you need in order, or, you know, without B12, you know, you die. What would vegans have done before supplement, before supplements? They did, they couldn't, then they died. They couldn't. Or later, if they weren't any before that. They really <laughs> stuck to it. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's, right. um, it's just that the whole thing from, like from the beginning, like you said, you got the keys, you got the channel study, which becomes a big New York Times bestseller. It got to be popular because, you know, an alumnus from the same college as T. Colin Campbell, Jane Brody, writes an opinion piece in the New York Times saying, this is the grand prix of epidemiological, you know, nutrition studies, you know, and, you know, she's a school. Well, that, and by the way, I think my, people might have missed that. You're saying that the person who came out in the New York Times and said, this is the definitive book, this is the most amazing thing, was a former like college colleague of the author, right? Or Yes, exactly. They both, they both went to the same school at the same time. He was a professor there and PhD in their nutrition department. They've renamed it now. But, but that's where she went to get her nutrition fact. You know, and then she, you know, I think she was doing some other kind of things for the Times. And then she lucked out into this nutrition thing. Um, but she doesn't, you know, she's, in fact, Gary Tobbs talks about her in the movie. She used to believe in the, the basic things that we know that, you know, if you want to lose weight, eat meat and a little bit of fat, green vegetables. Then she went to, after Ansel Keys and stuff, she did the whole 360 and said, no, pasta and low fat. So she's been going that bandwagon and promoting like the China study. And those, it became hugely popular. That's what inspired what the health and conspiracy and stuff originally from the nutritional standpoint. But the yeah. thing is, is the China study for all that's wrong with it, for all that's wrong with Mr. Campbell's, Dr. Campbell's ultimate conclusions, what they said was a whole food plant-based diet that you make at home in your kitchen, you know, and you don't eat sugar and you don't eat oils and you don't eat any kind of processed foods that you don't chop up yourself on the cutting board in your kitchen. That's what their, that's what their plant-based diet is. And it's been used it, that plant-based quote Yes, plant-based has been so abused. It's, it's not, it's, it's, it's really used. doesn't equate to something in a package. It equates to what you're talking about, the chopping block and, and whole foods. Yeah. Well, so, so even those guys, you know, and, and it wasn't their intention, but they've kind of helped launch this huge movement that now, you know, we're having, having to address, you know, and the lab cell meat is the same is it's just that what I, here's what I ask. You take a cell from a chicken, it's cruelty-free, I guess, because the chicken's still hopping around. And you take it from its wing and you put it in a petri dish and you grow it in the lab in some kind of nutritional formula. Well, 
you know, I just got to ask, it's still not getting sunshine. It's still not in the fresh air. It's still not eating all the little buggies. It's living you know, its best life. Yeah, it's not having its best life. And we don't know that it's getting the same kind of nutrition that a real animal cell would get by any means. But, you know, it's, it's they're riding the same wave of, you know, I mean, part of it is that it's just the money trail. It's if you can put up five big vats that look like beer vats and make impossible burgers and ship them out by the you know tens of thousands, it's easier than raising cattle. Yeah. That's part of it. And their, their claim is that you, you can't get enough cattle. You can't make enough meat. So you have to come to us. We're the only way to keep up with the demands of the future. So I know I'm getting off on a little sideline there. No, no, that's great. I, I think that this is a good sort of, you know, and that's why I love talking to you and having you on. I feel like it's always a good review of like the ancestral history. It's a good review of the things that effed it up, steered us in the wrong direction. And then how eight years ago with your movie and whatever Lauren Cordain years ago before that, like, the Rob Wolf, the Marxists of the world, people finally getting out the right message. And it's always really great to understand some of these nuances. You know, we could probably spend two more hours on just this vegan propaganda. <laughs> well, let me give you just one story that I think might amuse your audience and that you know, isn't in a movie or anything as of yet anyway. It's that I was in San Francisco and I went to the Conservatory of Flowers and they had a carnivorous plant exhibit at the time. And I walked through and I noticed a little plaque saying that they had to feed these carnivorous plants, you know, bugs and things that they would normally get in nature. And that in fact, they had tried to create a fake food, a formula to feed these plants that would keep them healthy, like us trying to eat Impossible Burgers or whatnot, right? And it didn't work. Carnivorous plants could not survive on this fake carnivorous plant mush <laughs> that, that they made. Yeah, fake fly compound or whatever. Uh, right. It's well, that this goes back to, uh, gosh, what is the name? John Durant, mm-hmm. right? The... Oh, yeah definitive sort of like anthropologist, he's like a yellow anthropologist who wrote that, uh, gosh, I'm, this is terrible that I'm forgetting this because it's a really great It's like the primal, so he, yeah, he's well, a new the, the Paleo Manifesto, thank you very much. It's, it's from about, New York. Then. Right, and the same went with the gorillas, right, with the, or there were some species, monkeys, baboons or something, where they were making this special nutritious cake that would have all of these things that this thing would need. And they were sick and hating it. And finally they're like, all right, what are they in the wild? Why don't we give them that? And then that they flourished. I mean, it's just, it, and then this goes back to paleo primal. It's back to what our DNA expects of us. Um, it's the same thing. It's that, that whatever the circumstances, you know, it's, it's really the miracle of that evolution. They call it, yes. you know, that, and then you need to do and consume the things that you evolved to eat that, that created you. You know, like that whole arc of human becoming human. It said, these are the things that made you human. Right. And you get away from them and you're going to start running into trouble. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to be an extended version because we're now going to talk about thyroid a bit, particularly just, you know, CJ's personal experience. Uh, so if you're not interested in that part, uh, thanks for joining us. If, if you are, please keep listening because we're going to get into this experience. So CJ and I are both on T3 only. It's the last resort choice for thyroid patients for a variety of reasons I've mentioned on a million podcasts. And you could just Google my name and reverse T3 and you'll see a, a ton of things that come up. But CJ, let's just talk a little bit about just 
Where did it start with you? What symptoms when you were like, something's off? Well, you know, it actually started, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I was in Santa Fe. And, and one, of, one of the good things I think, uh, you know, about me and one of the maybe bad things about me is that I'm always trying to improve. <laughs> so, you know, and I always want to get better. I always want to try to eat out. Like when I was a raw food vegan, I was raw food 100%. Right. I didn't. I didn't vary at all. I said, because I thought, well, otherwise, how am I going to know if it works or not? Right. Uh, that kind of thing. So, you know, I was up there in, you know, in Santa Fe and I was going, well, you know, maybe I could feel a little better. And I, because I had also in part of my history was traumatic brain injury because of sports injuries. And we're finding out more and more now that um, traumatic brain injury, you know, from falls and from sports and from, um, the, the military being near explosions and things like that creates a lot of problems that lead to hormonal disruption, you know, including thyroid, you know, as one of the, the primary things that gets thrown off and growth hormone and all these other things and testosterone. So after my cardiac arrest, when I was 24, we found out that I was low on testosterone. And they, at the time they said that I was hypopituitary which meant that, that my pituitary wasn't producing what it needed to produce to have enough testosterone. And at the time, they didn't mention other things, but that's also important. Oh, this makes perfect sense because the pituitary may be not sending the TSH and the signals that you need to produce the hormones. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it was, it was curious because after the, my cardiac arrest, you know, I, I didn't feel as motivated until I got back on meat and stuff like that. I started fe feeling healthier um, but I had to rely on testosterone replacement therapy, you know, transdermal therapy in order to be normal right. in that area. And I didn't get a zing off it like a lot of people do. I just thought, well, okay, that's going to, it's good for my heart, you know, and it's good for everything else. So I got to the point where now, well, now because of traumatic brain injury and modern times and modern science, and, you know, the evolution of endocrinology you know, like what you've experienced with thyroid is that we knew that these other kinds of things could impact a lot of things in your system. So I got together with a holistic doctor in Los Angeles who was working with the military to try to correct these things and try to get the military to do something. He did some blood work and he suggested I go on thyroid because his analysis was, and, you know, and I can't really explain it, but that he thought it could be more ideal and so he put me on armor thyroid because he believed that something that came from nature that had, you know, combination of all these different little bits of T3 and T4 and I had some other things. Which T1, are, T2, calcitonin, don't need them. You can take synthetic, but yes, it's so people feel like, okay, this is the more natural version. Yep. Right. And it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's cured of thousands of Dutch people. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and I felt, I felt a little better on it, you know, and I thought, well, okay, that's fine. I don't mind taking it. It was easily available, inexpensive, all that stuff. So, you know, and I did that for a few years and then I moved down to California and, you know, this is the danger of too many doctors, you know, and, and just like your search, you go and you get, you get different information and different takes. And, you know, at the time I, I had a doctor whose endocrinology belief system was different than a holistic doctor. And, and, um, you know, being the, the 
good student that I was, I, you know, I, I still occasionally did what the doctor said, whether sure. I thought, oh, you know, maybe, maybe it's better. I don't know. And I, unless I try to I don't find out. So he, he took me off of that because some doctors are afraid like yeah. they are three, that it could cause erratic heart rhythms. And my heart problem was a heart rhythm problem. Okay. And here's, what's funny about that. And I want to clear that up. And this is not an entry level explanation, but for people out there that know enough. So they're afraid what that doctor was falsely afraid of was that armor has direct T3 in it has T4 and T3. They're afraid that like somehow, but this is very funny. Like, oh, this T3, this thing that increases your heart rate, we're worried. We don't want to affect your heart negatively yet. If they take you off of that, I'm assuming they put you what? Just on T4 only? Correct. Right. Okay. So if you're a doctor that's afraid of armor with a direct T3 in it, you would go put someone on T4, guess that correctly. And then here's the fucked up thing about that. T4's job is to convert into T3 anyway. You're not avoiding the patient getting T3. Your heart needs T3 to work properly. So this whole justification reasoning is such failed medical science and all sorts of other kind of logic. I just wanted to clear that up for the audience in case you're wondering about the details about why that was a dumb thing to even think about. But okay, go ahead. So he says, I'm afraid of this T3. We're going to put you on T4 level thyroxine. Well, and, and that's an important distinction, you know, and, you know, I'll just let me interject it also since my cardiac arrest, I'd always been cold. My extremities were always cold, which I now know has a lot to do with your thyroid and you know, your body temperature and whatnot. So anyway, so I did that. As a guy, uh, it's almost, it should be more of an alarming system when it's a dude. Dudes, you guys are usually like overheaters. You know, you guys are the furnaces in the bed. You guys are like, usually more warm-blooded than we are. So if a guy is cold all the time, it's, man, it's kind of like direct to thyroid testing. Go ahead. People would tell me all the time when I touch them or shake their hands, they go, oh, your hands are cold. You know? yep. so, um, so immediately, and then, you know, I, sometimes you're not, I, sometimes I haven't always made the best decisions. But, um, you know, it's, uh, but it's interesting because the full circle, my, 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 my metaphysical excuses ultimately led to the good place. So, 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 um, I agree on T4 only, and then what happens? I immediately tanked and felt like dirt the next day. And I rode that train for two months. Yeah. You know, being told, oh, it'll just take, it'll just take some time. It'll just take some time. It'll just, and finally, I just felt so bad. I couldn't stand it anymore. You know, my life is that was you call, Is that when we talked then? Were you at your wits yeah. end there? Right there, because I got a blood test when I sent it to you. And you said you haven't seen reverse T3 like that on anybody. That okay, that's right. So, again, this a couple of years ago, because you've gone through, look, this experiment has taken a while to get to the right dose. And sometimes this is what happens with T3 only, especially if you're dealing with bullshit doctors. And I know there were some moves and some things, which, you know, elapsed time goes by. Um, and you're losing your life. Reverse T3 was really bad. It was like, it was over the range, right? Either way, the ratio was terrible. The ratio between your free team and reverse T was like below 10, if not lower. Like maybe it was bad. Either way, it was what? Yeah, it was the worst one you'd think. It was yeah, then it probably was like a ratio of two or something like, oh my God. Um, so that and that and that was the alarm bells of oh my God, you have got to stop taking T4 and have to get on T3 only at this point, right? And then you did. 
And then I believe what happened is, is like, so things got a little bit better. You resolved it, but then you had another doctor come in and go, we need to put you back on the NDT, the armor again. Yes. And again, I, you know, I admit it. First off, I would tell anybody now, if you, if you, if you switch, if you end up on this last resort and they start feeling better, ride that horse for a while. Don't rush to change things up because it's that that's when you give your body a chance to really recover and heal and have all the signals. So you're right. And, and it, you know, my brother and his new girlfriend came and they visited me and she had gone through the same thyroid stuff like you had in her case, she went and saw a doctor in San Diego, who is um, kind of an Eastern medicine kind of guy. And so his thing is T4 and T3 kind of in human ratios. And she said, I did that. And after two weeks, I have never felt better in my whole life. You know, that kind of thing. I said, oh, well, gee, maybe. And if it makes it a little easier, because. If but how long had you been experimenting with T3 before you decided to go back into T a year, six months? At least a year. Okay. Year. Now, and at that point, that would be that would be logical enough to think, well, maybe the stuff that caused the reverse T3 problem is now gone. I've gotten unhypothyroid. Maybe I should try the technically better, more endocrine mimicry choice, which would be armor. So it makes sense from that standpoint. It's just that that is a risky endeavor because if you do that, uh, looks like that reverse T3 thing, or maybe it's just an intolerance to T4. We don't know. It came right back with vengeance, right? Yeah, with a vengeance. And, you know, when we spoke in February, I had actually just switched back because I had I had gone through that and I gave it, you know, I gave it six months because they were, it was very slow, gradual changes, just like when you and I started with T3 to take a very cautious, you know, thoughtful approach in how much you use and how often you do it and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, I finally got to the point, and then this doctor basically says the same thing. He says, "Well, you know, you just gotta ride it out." Well, you know, and I, I you know, after I hate, you have been riding it out for years, bro. That's, like, that's just it. And and I hate to be a whiner, but it's you know, it'd be, honestly, it's different when you're thirty. It's different when you're forty. I get yeah. It's different when you're fifty. You don't have like you're like I got limited time left on Earth. I can see, I can see the end. The end is the football field of your football field. Right. in the beginning. And it, and it's, um, you know, and I just within the, and during this whole time too, I went and took care of my dad in hospice and all that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, I had a direct experience of my dad and all that and those, those conditions. And so it's been more in my head and I thought, well, you know what, I'm not going to lose another year, even if he was right. Even if you thought T4, oh, that burns too hot because that's the Eastern medicine kind of thing, you know, and you're going to burn too hot and it's not good for your, whatever they call that, <laughs> that kind of. YZ, whatever. Thing. Yeah. thing that, that, and that, you know, and ultimately you burn out. It's like, well, wait a second. If I've got 20 good years, which is, you know, most, most. You're being conservative. You could live to 120. I'm happy to live longer. I would love to make it to 100. Like I had a great aunt that made it to 106. There you go. Let's hope for 100. But assuming it's 20 solid awesome ones. 20, 25 years, you know, that would be 90. That would not be unreasonable. I said, I want them to be good. I want them to be great. I want to feel, I want my mind to work. I want to be able to, you know, finish the new film. I want to be able to do other other things that were impossible, you know, 
Well, you know, when you talk can about, have, can you please describe that? Because I had level talks with you. So a, I could tell in your voice difference between these times when things were better and worse, you could tell the energy level of the person and like almost feel the depression come from the brain. But I also remember you talking about really like malaise, not being able to focus, like not having your brain work right, not being able to think. Can you just describe for people that are out there what hypothyroidism felt like to you? It's, it is really miserable. It, just imagine, you know, if you can, if you get up in the morning and, and, you know, you have no energy, you don't have any life force, you're lucky to get out of bed, bed and drag yourself, coffee doesn't help, <laughs> You know, so you keep thinking on that. You you know, my eyes, for me, my eyes were kind of blurry. You know, my vision wasn't great. I'd sit down. I couldn't answer emails. I just looked at it and it's like. Like, like couldn't even muster up the freaking wherewithal. Muster up the whatever it was. Almost paralyzing, isn't it? Yeah, I think paralyzing is a great word. And you don't really know why. You don't understand why. You know, you want to show up, you want to be, you know, do the things that you want to do. You want to show up for other people if you're doing things like what we're doing that um, to help spread the word on, you know, the good stuff that you're able to do. And but you can't. And it's not that, you know, you're just being lazy. You know, you're just you just aren't giving yourself a swift enough kick in the ass, you know. So there you go. I finally got so on podcast. You know, <laughs> I'm so old fashioned. It's normal for everybody else's. You know, there you go. Very rare for a CD. I don't have a tattoo either. So, um, you know, it's it's really hor- horrendous, and it's that that and the people around you, I think, don't get it because they don't feel that way, and it can set up a lot of emotional trauma and stress in, in all of your relationships. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. This is one of the things I focus on in my book. And this is true. You Because you're not fun to fucking hang out with to begin with. You are kind of the party pooper. You don't really want to do stuff. And you're not fun and light. And your brain's not lit up. You almost can't even retain it when people are telling you stories and things. And you forget. People get annoyed with you. I mean, my gosh, you know, there's plenty of husbands out there, since it's disproportionately a women's issue, who will be like, this is not the woman I married. And it's not her fault. But she's gone to 100 doctors. Now we think she's in a hypochondriac, Right. And now she's miserable because the cortisol and what hypothyroidism does to the adrenals. Now you're sensitive to light, smells, and sounds. You're overwhelmed. Like no one wants to hang out with this. And uh-huh. furthermore, it's hard to even hang out with yourself. Like, you know, so. Well, and that that's just it to just, if the best you can muster is to sit there like a bump on a log, you know, I didn't even really want to watch television. And, yeah, exactly. Nothing is interesting and nothing is fun and nothing is just. Yeah. Like a right, exactly. And, and. You know, and I was more forgetful, you know, which is not, we don't want that. <laughs> That's not going to bode, bode well for the next 20. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. So, so you, that's what I would share with it is that is you lose your sense of self and, you know, and, and, and spark and vitality. And it, it's one of those things where I can understand better how some people might, you know, make negative choices out of that where they might, you know, do more drugs or they might you know, uh, you know, harm themselves. They suicide when they normally wouldn't if they had more T3 receptors in their brain or who knows what the... Right, yeah. what, what that could lead to. And the thing is, is, and I've always believed, and it's been true from the, my raw vegetarian vegan days too, is that I thought that if your body isn't right and you, your nutrition isn't right and you don't feel good, there's no way you're going to have 
the connection to your spirit and to your, the, your life force and to your, you know, the spark that makes you you and that makes you special. So, you know, the body has got to be handled for that to be there, you know, and for that to show up. And if you have something which sometimes I think quite often is through no fault of your own, because, you know, you didn't know me better and, you know, you grew up on, no one, any, no one, our mothers didn't know they'd given us Were you that. played sports and not just up around and didn't really, we didn't think about TBIs and. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, there's so many times I fell on my head. I fell on my, off a second story landing when I was two years old, when I was a baby, when my parents were moving onto cement. Oh, God. They were surprised I wasn't dead. It explains the flat spot, but. <laughs> you know, your personality, but no. Yeah, it, it explains a lot of things. That. <laughs> it started at two. So, um, yeah, no, yeah. it's no fault of it's no fault of one's own, but it starts to feel like it's your fault after all when you keep going to doctors and no one's helping, and then the friends and the family members see they're thinking you're just stupid and not following these doctors who must know better because they have MDs, and now, ah, uh, now you have kind of people sort of blaming you over there in a way maybe not even outright or verbally, but that's kind of how they're looking at you. Yeah, it undermines your relationships and people, you know. And it's actually, it feels bad not to be able to remember things. Or, you know, if I, if I heard, well, I just told you that this morning. It's like, well, I don't remember, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So that's it, pretty sad. So the, the, the nice thing is, though, when I, I sent you that and you explained all these things to me and you started helping me, me with the T3 only. And gradually I saw, had little windows where, oh, wow, my brain is feeling better. Oh, I do feel happier today. I distinctly remember after, I don't know, four or five months when we've been doing things one day sitting down in front of the computer and I'd just been beating myself up like crazy, not working on the script, right. For the, for the new work. And I thought I wanted to do something. No, you called me and you're like, it's the first time you actually were like compelled to like get create your creative juices were flowing in your brain. You felt it in your brain. Right, right, and I wanted to, and I, and I was excited about it, and I wanted to keep going, and I wasn't distracted, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it'd been so long since I felt that. And mind you, I didn't change the way I ate. I was still doing, you know, you were like, you're like the master of ancestral, right? Right. I'm still doing all that, but there was something else that needed help. And um, paleo um, diet just sometimes can't fix everything, right? And uh, uh, Right, exactly. And, you know, because there's all sorts of reasons why systems get damaged and then and sometimes diet isn't enough. I mean, just and yours, obviously, it seems like it quite likely is a TBI or something from those days based on the testosterone thing that happened. And in hindsight, we can see that perhaps you did OK there for a while, but at some point it just petered out. Right, exactly. And I think because I had that long history, you know, I thought, well, hmm, that's what was going on back there. And um and because of, you know, because I followed some medical advice and, you know, I did it, I, I own up to it, I own that, um, that would have, might have been better thought, I, uh, I made it worse. So, or it's, you know, it, and I suppose I, you could say I, I evoked the deeper underlying problem because that even armor wasn't, armor never made me feel as good as I do now. And T3, right? And, you know, I, I bet because you always had a reverse T3 bad situation going on there, so that getting some direct T3 with from the armor was a direct hit of some kind that was better than nothing. But that explains why when you went to T4 only, 
it was a disaster. Likely. I mean, of course, there's some details and nuances on dosages and whatever's. But so, and then um, let's talk about temps because again, you were always cold. Um, you and and, and T, uh, CJ is a great example of someone who has to be on a high dose that most people would think was nuts. So tell us how much T3 you take a day. Well, now um, when when I wake up, well, the total is anywhere from 125 milligrams to 150 micrograms. Right. Okay. Micrograms. He he multi doses. He splits those doses throughout the day, which is the pain in the ass about T3, especially if you have to be on such a high amount because you're gonna have to dose more. Um, and as CJ will tell you, the whole thing, as I've said, is. a personal journey because your doctor can't be there for you to make all of these adjustments. And you actually have to make these adjustments when they're necessary. You might need to make an adjustment that you see coming and it's Friday. You can't go to your doctor's office. You can't call them. You can't get a blood test. And so that's where like home diagnostics and knowing yourself and just the tinkering factor. But again, this is a perfect example because so many people would, there are doctors that would never, they would freak out at your dose. They would freak out that they would be like, oh my God, CJ, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. And then yet your labs show nowhere near being hyperthyroid, nowhere near on too much T3. You just happen to be one of those people that needs more than others. Well, and if you look at my new T3 that I sent you a little earlier, it even look, it's even a little low. It's, it's not a even- little subpar. It's like, wait, but you know, it's funny. So it was 2.9 in the middle, uh, in the middle, everything else was low as it should be when you're on T3 only of that dose, meaning CJ's TSH is going to be fully suppressed. 0.00, just like nothing. Uh, his T4 is also going to be completely suppressed. It'll look like he has no T4 in his body, but that is absolutely par for the course for someone on as much T3 and like full T3 replacement. And that can come like, 30 to 50 micrograms plus where really you've shut down the whole system. I mean, maybe even less, it just depends on the person. So your uh, free T3 was 2.9 and I did see it and I go, oh, that's interesting. That is a little bit low, but you know, here's the thing. That's a perfect example of for someone on T3 only, most people would say that needs to be higher. That needs to be above the mid range, if not towards the top of the range, and you should shoot for that. However, we're also factoring in when the last dose was taken, right? There's other things that aren't as steady as in, and consistent as T4 and T3 is together or T4 only, which is why doctors like that. They like the steadiness of this storage hormone versus the fast actingness of this T3. That's sort of like a firebomb for them. And so I, I guess I would say to you on those labs, CJ, it's like, well, if you need to increase, increase, but don't go based on that number because you're also very metabolically efficient. You, you know, have, you don't have a lot of body fat, you eat a very clean, perfect diet, (laughs) the perfect human diet. And so therefore you might be more T3 efficient in that way, where 2.9 isn't a problem. Like Ben Greenfield's a 2.92, he doesn't take thyroid hormone, but that would be problematic for most people, but he's really highly dialed in. So this is where T3 only is a pain in the ass. It is a personal experimentation at some point, even if you're working with a doctor and there's often tinkerings that have to happen. You know this, I know this, I, I tinker still. There's tinkerings because we are deciding versus the T4, that's why it is the last choice, but it's a lifesaver. It's saving my freaking life right now. It has completely changed and is saving your life. Like, would you ever go back to armor now? Not a chance. I don't think I would either because I don't know that I want to risk another six months or another getting fat again, or another thing. And just trying to see, I might, uh, I don't have 20 years. I might have a bit more on you. 
Uh, <laughs> but but again, it's like once something has failed you and converted into a thing that wasn't it wasn't supposed to, it sort of betrayed you almost. If we could personify it, it feels like. I would be too nervous that at any given time, like even if I felt great for the first two months and all the labs were good, I'd still be like, when's this thing going to make a wrong turn? And if it does, I don't want to be hypo. And I know that I won't be on T3. So why the fuck would I choose the risk of it ever getting that way again? Yeah, exactly. Like our philosophy and how people are when they've been on T3 and it saved their life. It was a long rant. Sorry. (laughs) And that's definitely my lesson. And I, and I still take her a little bit because when I first started getting near these dosages, I took like 25 micrograms when I woke up and then three and a half, four hours later, I would do the next one. And so I kind of waited till it started to drop off before I did another one. Over time, I've learned that if I go in at two and a half hours, that everything stays more steady instead of waiting until three hours or three and a half hours and having a drop off. Or taking more in one dose, which it usually isn't recommended to take more than 25 micrograms at a time. However, uh, you and also other people, uh, Amy Horneman, who I spoke to, she takes 75 micrograms twice a day, direct T3. Never heard of such a thing. Very, but again, she figured out what would work for her. It's 75 micrograms twice a day. She drops 20 micrograms, gets fat, whatever. It just, it, that's her thing. That's her dose. And so that's the shitty thing about T3 is that we definitely, as the patient, have to figure that out. And I think that that's the tough part about it, which is why you really don't want to go to unless you have to. And you, it, it is most endocrine mimicry to be on a T4, T3 combo. But and thank God we have this. And you have to be diligent. You know, you have to set your clock so you don't forget. And right. um, and I'm on 50 in the morning. For, the first one is 50, and then the other ones are smaller. And right. then some, I tried for a week or so of 75 for the first dose and then waiting longer for the rest. Um, but it is, it's that tinkering thing. Like one day I needed just a little half more. And yeah. And sometimes you become intuitive about it over time where you're like, I think I, I, maybe I can skip that third dose of the day today. For some reason, I, there's, there's the feeling there's something going on that says don't need it or need more. And again, that is something that is it's so hard to explain and quantify. We could talk about all the variations of dosing, but uh, but no one thing fits the with T three only. It's it's very rare with armor. Well, with synthroid, it's once a day, and that's a no brainer um, if it works. But it often fails. So T four T three in any combination, it is once or twice a day. But you're pretty steady and good to go. You don't have to really tinker very much when you're on a T four T three combo. The only time would be you know maybe you need a little bit more in winter and a little bit less in summer but you get tested twice a year and if something's weird you go right to temps you check it out at home you go get tested oh but it's rare to see people who have reached their optimal dose and been there for a while have to tinker like we do well yeah and also my temperatures are near normal for the first time that i can remember since i started this isn't that great and so that means that 2.9 free t3 we don't need to and this is the tough thing about t3 only dosing is that labs are not as accurate as they are so we don't even know if it really is a 2.9 maybe technically throughout the day you're really at a 3.7 and we don't know one thing you can do which i did and i thought was interesting is i did now let's get checked as a home 
testing kind of thing, but they don't test reverse T3. But people like you and I, we know already that any reverse T3 test we're going to get is going to be low because we don't take anything that converts into it. Um, so they have a TSH free T3, free T4 test. I got two home tests. I did it in the morning before I took my thyroid dose. And then I did it after in the afternoon after my second dose, two and a half hours when that second dose would have been peaking just to see what the hell is a free T3 say? Now, at the time, it was like, I think it was like seven, top of the range being four. Most people would be like, oh my God, like horrible, you're hyperthyroid. That's crazy. My doctor was like, I'm not worried about it. It was peaking at that moment, you know, but it did inform me a little bit because my second dose, I did actually that, that whole thing. And then just kind of feeling like I was sort of indicated to me like, yeah, maybe I need to drop it down 2.5 micrograms or something. And again, these are these weird tinkering things that we have to do, but you could always do that. You know, you could always get one of those home prick tests because we don't care about the reverse T3 and you can see where your teeth is. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it was like 18, but when I had my blood draw eight in the morning, I hadn't taken an ET3 since three the afternoon the day before. Exactly. And so that's why we can't rely on that. And that's why we wouldn't look at your 2.9 and go, oh, it's too low. You need more. What's more important is that your temps are normal. You're feeling good. What are the symptoms? Right. And so the fact that your temps, I mean, it took a lot of T3 to get your temps up, which is again, exemplary of the fact that you are a person that needs more to become normal, to get to our Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold temp. And some people need very little, um, but I'm so glad you're there. So what does that feel like now that you're not cold all the time? Well, that's interesting, actually, you know, and I, so I'm taking my temperature more often to see where it lands. When I first wake up, I still am a little bit lower than I think, you know, might be great, but by 10, you know, I'm, you know, nine, 98.2, 98.3. It keeps going up, keeps going up. Great. Yeah. And, and, uh, I never feel too hot, you know, but I am finally warm. It's kind of like, Oh, this is interesting, you know, because I went so long being cold, you right. know, my, my heart doesn't race. In fact, I spoke with, uh, my doctor in Temecula, um, who was a regular Western medicine that joined an integrative practice. I think I told you yeah. he was kind of a newbie when I started, but he would put, was willing to prescribe the T3. And last time we spoke, and we're gonna we're gonna speak again, but he when I told him I was taking that much and my heart wasn't racing, my temperatures were fine, all this stuff, he goes, Well, I'm not gonna, I'm afraid to change it. <laughs> you're feeling That's so the good. right answer. That's the right answer. Your patient's like, I'm doing great. My temps are normal for the first freaking time. I don't have a elevated heart rate that's dangerous you know when you're hyperthyroid you wake up with a pulse of like 90 you know i mean like right from the go you know what i mean um and that's waking up in a chill environment you would have like 90 or plus so yeah i mean and that's the thing about the home diagnostics you know a continuous heart rate monitor whether it's an apple watch or a fitbit it's the it's a the blood pressure wrist machine it's the it's the temps i mean these are things that you have to have on hand, particularly if you take T3 only, because you are going to need to check in with those when you might, for example, not too long ago, I was feeling really hot for some reason. And no, I'm not in menopause having hot flashes or anything, but so clear that up. But so I was feeling really hot and most minds would go, oh, I feel warm. Maybe I took too much T3 and I'm like, nope, let me check my temps. The temps were fine. It was just whatever, might've eaten something, might've whatever, the environment 
shower, whatever it was. And so sometimes when people are like, well, I'm cold or I'm hot, you have to really do the diagnostics to see that. Right. right. You can feel feel warm out here because the room is warm, but it's not really your core temperature. Exactly. Or you could just take a hot shower and it warms up or just drink a cold drink or whatever. And so um, these are things that are, again, are invaluable to track and have around. I'm just, thank you so much for sharing your journey. You know, this is rarely... Look, I mean, more women have to deal with this than men, although there's, you know, thousands, millions of men on thyroid medication. But this is such a great testament to, hey, like you dropped dead, you had a heart problem. If T3 only were detrimental to your heart, and you would have been a Dunsky by now based on the doses you've taken, according to the uninformed doctors, right? This would have been the worst thing you could have done. Yet it's the best thing you could have done for your heart. Yeah, and, and I've been on medicines before over the years that made my heart race. So, I mean, I know what that's like, you know, and, and it would make me really dizzy when that happened and I'd have to grab a wall or grab a chair and that's not happening now. So, so I'm really grateful for well, you. I wonder about this. Do you feel sometimes people say, so they felt the anxiety and all of the raciness when they were hypo and then they get on T3 and they're like, I feel calmer or whatever, any, any medication that gets them on hypothyroid. And they're like, actually, I feel more calm and relaxed and chill. And I'm like, yeah, because of the way hypothyroidism affects your adrenals, what that can do in terms of anxiety. And also if your heart has to work extra hard in the absence of T3, you could get elevated heart rates when you shouldn't. And that can be fuckery with the head going, wait, is it too hot, too cold, too low, too high? Does that make sense? So it's just kind of interesting that, yeah. Well, no, it does. And you know what makes me wonder, of course, you know, you can't go back and change time. But if we had known these things from the time I was 24 on, you know, just even starting with the diet, that, you know, how how different life would be. And your audience, people who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s, have a huge advantage. Such a huge advantage. Just the internet and podcasts are the advantage. Like, I didn't have these podcasts or things where I could learn from anybody. You know, it was like you go to the library and that was it. Or, you know, the internet was kind of BS for a while there when it first started and it wasn't as extensive as it is now. So yeah, don't make the mistakes we did, but also too, thanks so much for sharing your T3 journey. I'm glad I could be of any help. And you know what? Your story's classic. It's like, look, I get it. I'm not a doctor and I don't expect people to listen to me, but it happens often. You know, you, you talk to someone like me who might've been through it, but then you go to some doctor, they seem great. They suggest something, you do it, you could backtrack it and you're calling me again. And this, this is not about like right or wrong or anything like, Oh, see, CJ, I was right. It's just that this is kind of how we still go through this. We still go through this like, well, okay, they might know better. They have a degree. And then you're back to like the non-degree suggestion, right. Um, of T3 only, which I'm so glad it worked. I did, and I remember telling you, I'm like, at some point, like, this is going to have to work. Like, cause there's nothing, like, there's no way out. You're either, t- you either take armor or like T4, T3, or you take T3. Like there's not any choices here. And I was worried for a while, Mike, is he going to get there? And I think it was just you really having to hit that high mark. Yeah. 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 And I was actually a little embarrassed because when I get, when I went off on those, little tests, you know, <laughs> and tanked again. I thought, oh my God. Al's gonna- How did I tell Al that I, that I did this? After I was- It's part of the thing. And, it, you know, if anything, it got you to the point where you're like, I know how I felt, felt like shit. I'm not doing that again. If that contrast was necessary for you to stay where you're at, then great. Or if that contrast was necessary to at least show you T4 is not for me in any capacity, 
then yeah. great. You had to learn it, you know? Yeah. It really reinforced that beyond question. So, you know, and I'm, I just feel better all the time. And I just, you know, I'm curious to see how much better it'll get, you know, because I mean, we're oh. still early on comparatively, you know, um, with doing the T3 only. So I'm Oh, because you just got back on it in February, right? So yeah, just at the beginning of February, but, he, but right. just the difference between then and now it's just fantastic, you know? So yeah, well, you know, it's, it's when it's starting and it's when it starts to work, it's, it ramps up pretty good, you know, pretty quickly. And I don't know, maybe I can pay attention to it a little more uh, diligently now and understand it better, but um, just our talk today, I'm a lot happier that it went as well as it did. Than it might have. If it had been a year ago, I'd be going, um, um, what study? <laughs> right, the brain just does not work at all. That's how I know I'm headed towards trouble zone if I've done those experiments over time where I reduce my thyroid dose or I try to get off it then um, I really noticed it in the brain pretty quickly and I will mix up my words, can't find them. Bound to happen with a fast talker like me anyway, but this is different. This is a real brain issue that I notice. Uh, it's a cognitive, I feel the cognitive decline, the cognitive issue show. It's just so clear, but yeah. all right. Anyway, so we'll put, well, where can we watch it for free? Like is it on Netflix right now? Like where, where can we get it? Let me see here. I, I wrote it down. So... And I, and I can send it to you. It's so always you changing, you know, so. Well, yes, at the moment, on um, it's always on iTunes and Google Play and all those other things, but for really cheap now. Yeah. Uh, so, but on Amazon Prime, on their IMDb channel, you can watch it for free on one called Tubi, T-U-B-I, mm-hmm. which is new. I guess Voodoo, which is kind of an old one. If you're, you can see it for free with commercials. And Pluto TV, P-L-U-T-O TV. They're all free there. And then there's, you know, all those other places where it goes anywhere from 99 cents to 3.99. And if you are in, in those systems and, and you prefer watching it there, then uh, commercial free, then that's there too. But awesome. yeah. everybody see it. And also the book, The Perfect Human Diet. So, you know, if you get both send that book to a friend who needs some help uh both are great resources but i know you guys will love it and and the book right now i have the ebook on my website for on sale for like 2.95 so i'll leave it up for a while and that that way people don't have to go to amazon and pay 16 bucks or more you know why don't you tell us what your website is even though i will put the link in the show notes it's theperfecthumandiet.com is the just, just like the title of the film, The Perfect Human Diet. I love it. Thank you so much for all the time you spent. My gosh, we went through all the ancestral stuff and thyroid. Such a, just a great revisit on all of those topics. Is there anything you. you'd like to leave our audience with? Anything special? Well, you know, it, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's, you know, once you understand, I think, the idea of, you know, the perfect human diet, the ideal human diet, that, that there are human foods and non-human foods. The whole idea is to simplify it, to make it easier for you to make choices. So that when you go into a restaurant or when you go shopping, you, you know what category things fall into. And, and you know, if you know grains are bad and you know dairy is bad and you know legumes are bad, but you know all animal foods, animal fats, you know, are great. Non-starchy vegetables are great. 
healthy fats are great, you know, those kinds of things, it makes it much easier just to walk through and make those choices for yourself. And then it can become more intuitive over time, just like taking a T3, I guess. Um, so I think that's that's really the bottom line is to to trust trust yourself in that way as you start to do it. And oh, let me show you one thing. My mother, God bless her, when I, I was born in 1954, yes? It's true, there were people alive in 1954. She found a Life magazine from a birthday. And if you think this, so January 26, 1954, and this one I think is from that same one. If you think the, the plants claiming to be protein thing is new, this is the center page of and I don't know if you can read that. It looks reversed to me. High protein Quaker oats help you control your weight. Oh my God, look at that. Yeah. Yeah, boy, they were pushing that. And you know what? And you know what's so funny about that? CJ, that's the last thing people can't get rid of is the freaking oatmeal. They're like, yeah, yeah, no, but I still keep the oatmeal because the oatmeal is good for your heart. And you're like, oh my gosh, people. Um, started there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's not really new. It's just more sophisticated, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, and like in the same year, that's uh, this. What is that? Here you go. The plague of overweight. Will oh. willpower is the only cure? Is that what it said? Oh my god! Yeah. Willpower is uh, the only cure. Yeah. That's elusive. Very elusive. Willpower to just not eat anything, or you know, tell us. Okay, yeah. So. Well, yeah, you know, and of course, down at the bottom, they have an ad of all these little supplements to curb your appetite. Oh my god. So any, anyway, but yeah, that's what they say. What is that? Greed. Anyway, they basically they think they say you're greedy. You're a glutton and just have willpower. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Um, always great talking with you. Thanks for sharing your journey and everybody get out there, go see the perfect human diet. Um, and we'll talk soon, CJ. That sounds great. It's lovely to see you again, Al. Thank you. Bye-bye. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30-month, or adding to your Primal-approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like kicky chipotle lime, creamy classic, zesty garlic aioli, or savory pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sauteing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.